today on CityCast Salt Lake. Buckle up, friends. The Utah legislature is in town and at work until March 4th. Some of the hundreds of bills introduced may make you crazy. Others may make you proud. I asked Robert Gerke of the Salt Lake Tribune and Emily Means of KUER for some help making heads and tails of the next 45 days. It's Tuesday, January 18th, 2022. I'm Ali Vallarta, and this is CityCast Salt Lake. All right. Emily Means and Robert Gerke, welcome to CityCast Salt Lake. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having us, Ali. We're so excited. I speak for the both of us, of course. Hey, Ali. How are you? So... Okay. Um, The legislative session is upon us. And that means that 104 senators and reps from around the state are going to be up at the Capitol for the next 45 days. It's a part-time session. Um, And trying to solve problems, perhaps creating some new problems in the process. There are going to be, as I understand it, thousands of bills that enter into this process and fight for their lives in the legislature. And some will survive and some won't. But today I want to talk to you both about what you're watching, what you're anticipating, what you think the highlights will be of the next 45 days. And so, Gerke, what's the number one issue that you're tracking right now? You know, I think the thing I'm most interested in right now is, you know, this is the second session we're going to have had with uh, COVID sort of hanging over everybody's heads. Uh, there's there's a ton of COVID relief money, federal COVID relief money that they're going to be spending on things like homelessness and so forth. And there's also bills that are, you know, sort of targeting in various ways, uh, vaccination efforts. So one by Representative John Hawkins in particular, I'm interested in, would make it illegal for businesses uh, to require people to be vaccinated to come in. So Places like the Bayou, for example, you know, they want to check your Vax card when you come in, they wouldn't be able to do that anymore. And it's really kind of create could create problems when you're talking about things like concerts, you know, the state room, you go to the state room or Commonwealth room, they want to check your Vax card, you go to Eccles, they want to check your Vax card. And so it, it could really complicate things in, in that respect. Um, and so, you know, we'll see where it goes. Usually the legislature doesn't like to tell businesses what they want to do. But in this particular instance on the on the vaccine mandates, uh, in particular, they're they're what they want to wade into it. We hear so often from leaders in the legislature that they're opposed to local control, and yet it feels like we're constantly in this position where they want to control local business decision making or municipality decision making. This feels like an example of that. They like to be the Uber City Council, right? So they want to they want to tell everybody what they want to do, particularly when you have places or cities uh, that are out there doing things that they don't like. I mean, in, in concept, local control works, but, you know, it, it works a lot better when they do what they're what the legislature's legislature wants them to do. Yeah. Emily, what's the number one issue you're watching for? I am really interested in the investments they make in affordable housing this session. Um, But I'm also interested in how they talk about homelessness because um, the state stood up this uh, statewide homelessness council last year, and they also got a new homelessness czar. He wouldn't want to be called that. But anyway, uh, former Senate President Wayne Niederhauser is overseeing homelessness at the state level. And so I'm really interested to see how they um, uh, how they look at homelessness as a statewide issue, because something we've heard a lot from local leaders, particularly Salt Lake City Mayor Aaron Mendenhall, is that 
Uh, Salt Lake City has taken on the burden of homelessness and homeless services. The thing I'm really excited about on this homelessness front is there's $289 million that the governor has uh, proposed putting toward homelessness. And that's to do th- that's to do things like build the tiny, the tiny homes that uh, Mayor Mendenhall has proposed. But there's also a lot of money that goes into things like mental health and, and substance abuse treatment. These are supported housing. And so people who are, are we're not just putting people in an apartment for example, we're giving them the support that they would need to get back on their feet. And the studies, the research has shown over time that people who have that kind, that level of support really thrive. They do a lot better than people who are just sort of left to their own. So um, I think it's, I think it's encouraging. It's a historic level investment uh, in homelessness and and maybe the first real effort, the real first real concerted effort to try to take this problem on head on. Yeah. I remember when the governor laid out his budget priorities and that was one of the most interesting ones to me, because like you said, it's way more than we've ever seen invested from the state in this issue. Um, right. And it's it's not just um, housing that specifically supports people experiencing homelessness. It's affordable housing generally that they're also looking at. And, you know, uh, everyone seems to be able to agree that the the key to solving homelessness in Utah is, believe it or not, affordable housing. And that's something that we just don't have here. So um, I think that investment will be really impactful. And if you can if you can put some money into the affordable housing piece of it on the front end and keep people from becoming homeless, you alleviate so many problems for families and, and so forth. So I think it's I think it's really promising that there's going to be some something serious done in that regard. We love systemic solutions. <laughs> we love them. Um, I think not it's just important. a patchwork of solutions. Not just Ellie. yeah, not just a cabinet <laughs> a band-aid full of here and there. <laughs> um, I think it's important to mention that our legislature is a Republican supermajority. And so that means that you mentioned Speaker Brad Wilson earlier. That means that the speaker really, because he holds such a strong majority, gets to control the narrative around a lot of these issues and also has an iron grip on the agenda. And one of the things I'm curious about is we've seen other Republican majority legislatures across the country take on some of these sort of culture war issues. There have been anti-trans bills. There have been um, voting rights bills and things like that. Are you anticipating, Gerke, that our legislature will take a page from that book this session? Yes, 100% they will. Um, you know, and it, it's, it's as you mentioned, this is a national part of a national trend and not necessarily something that is, you know, homegrown. Similarly, the election uh, reform stuff, uh, you know, there's going to be some efforts uh, to get rid of ranked choice voting, which we had last time to sort of go strictly to paper ballots. There's a ballot initiative, in fact, that would want to go strictly to paper ballots to reduce the windows for uh, for for early voting. And so all of these are part of this national trend. Um, we're going to see them crop up here in Utah. Uh, I, I think it's I think it's going to be particularly on the election stuff. It's going to be interesting to watch how aggressively uh, the governor and the lieutenant governor push back on that because, you know, the lieutenant governor runs the state elections. The governor was the lieutenant governor before, so he's run state elections. He has some real insight on this, and they've been pretty outspoken in saying. We don't want this to be something that masquerades as election reform when really the intent is to try to make it harder for certain people to vote. And, and there's uh, they're aware that that's a, a possible outcome of this. Yeah. And the other concern with this is that um, this just 
undermines confidence in elections. And everyone can agree that Utah does elections like pretty damn well, you know, and especially in this Republican state. Right. I mean, we've had mail in balloting for years um, and it's only just now become a problem. I wonder why it's only just now become a problem. But um, yeah, it, it doesn't really do anything to um, to support the public's perception of mail-in voting. So, And all the polling indicates the public likes the system we have now and feels good about its integrity. Um, so I think we're seeing, as, as Emily kind of referenced, this is something that's being ginned up by the Trump supporters who think the election was stolen, who think Utah's election even had rampant fraud and, and, and abuse in it. And so, you know, there's an audit that's going on. I don't think we'll have that back necessarily before the end of the session to sort of inform policy. But, uh, it, you know, there's lingering questions out there. And hopefully the, the governor is willing to stand firm and, and not let our system that we've put in place over the last 10, 15 years be undermined by, you know, baseless claims of, of fraud and abuse. Emily, you brought up the Great Salt Lake very early in our conversation. And we spoke with some folks from Save Our Great Salt Lake last week on this show. And basically what they're looking for this legislative session is a little less conversation, a little more action, if you will. And can we expect that? I think they'll get something. Um, I mean, the like I said, House Speaker Brad Wilson has really made this his thing this year. Um, a lot of the lake is in his district. He's from Davis County. Um, all of Antelope Island is in his district. And um, last week he held this big or he recently he held this big summit to talk about solutions and also talk about the problem there, which is that, you know, the lake is at historic lows. So um, it will be interesting to see how much they really want to do, though. What it seems like they're looking at is conservation efforts primarily. But um, something that's kind of um, setting off some alarm bells for me is these big projects that the state supports, like the Inland Port, uh, which will basically be built on the wetlands of the Great Salt Lake. And then there's also the Bear River Diversion Project, um, which will take a lot of water out of the Bear River, which is the Great Salt Lake's biggest tributary. So um, these are projects the state has supported for years now, and I'm very curious to see um, how how they plan to move forward with those. And I think that will determine how serious they are about saving the lake. One of the things that I thought was really interesting when I was researching the Great Salt Lake earlier this year was that for four months this past year, the Bear River, which Emily mentions is the largest tributary, didn't reach the Great Salt Lake. Not a drop of water from that river reached the lake. And so you can see the real problem we have is upstream on these rivers, uh, on these tributaries. And so, you know, it's going to it's really going to take some hard decisions, frankly, for those agricultural users and the residential users who are upstream diverting water out of these rivers, out of these tributaries, if we're going to save the lake. And I, I, I'm encouraged, frankly, that the speaker is engaging on this. Um, but, you know, now we got to, you know, put the money where the mouth is, so to speak, and see some results. Yeah. And it's, it is, I mean, like, an interesting issue when you think about some of these representatives from rural areas, because no one wants to go to war with ag in this state. No one wants to go to war with farmers in this state over water. And yet, southern Utah relies on the Great Salt Lake for 
water, for rain. Like this is the what feeds our entire ecosystem. And so it is a battle that covers like every corner of the state and every kind of sector, I think. So well, and I think you kind of hit the nail on the head there. You, you don't want to go to battle with them, but also you have to address it because it is 80% of the water use in the state. And it's, it's you know, not going to, you can't address the overarching problem of water availability in the state until you address the issue of how ag is, until you get ag to at least make some conservation steps. And so, you know, they're going to have to be at the table and they're going to have to, you know, they're probably going to have to feel their ounce of pain as well. One last thing. There are no two words that put me to sleep quicker than these two words, and they are tax cuts. And yet, I do feel like we, <laughs> this is going to come up. Emily, are we going to see tax fighting, tax cut fighting? What's the... Even even more boring, though, Allie, I think is tax reform. And Ugh, that is not what, <laughs> that's not what's on tap for the session. Tax cuts, though. Yes. Um, the state has a lot of extra money right now um, from federal COVID funding, from just a really good revenue year. Um, so Republicans are eyeing. $160 million in tax cuts. The governor, though, would like to see that money put to use through a grocery tax credit for low-income families. So that's kind of interesting. But that is not the same as removing the tax on groceries altogether, which is what Democrats and community advocates want. So um, it's also an election year, and it's it's always nice for lawmakers to talk about tax cuts during an election year. So uh, I think if Republicans want it to happen, it it shall indeed happen. What do you think, Gertie? Yeah, I think it's, I think it's a pretty safe bet that you're going to see at least some form of tax cuts. I mean, I think it's interesting, the, the debate over the grocery tax rebate that the governor wants versus just eliminating the grocery tax, which is what the advocates want. The advocates think that if you just get rid of the state grocery tax, you're going to get the money to the people who need it the most without a lot of hassle, right? Without them having to fill out, a, uh, you know, file their taxes or fill out some form uh, with the government and get a check. Uh, you know, it's it's it seems like there's a lot of administrative headaches in, in the way that the governor is proposing it. But he says it gets more money into the hands of the people who need it the most uh, versus versus just eliminating the tax, uh, the grocery tax. And so I think that's uh, going to be an interesting debate to watch. The legislature really wants that income tax cut. It's minor. It's about 0.05 uh, percent, uh, which is also the blood alcohol uh, level for DUIs in the state. I don't think that's a coincidence. Um, but but, you know, so there's going to be some tax cuts. I, I think the economy has been churning. They've got a lot of money. They don't like to spend a lot of money because because that grows government. And so they're going to try to turn around and give some of that back to us. I'll just say, if I can add one thing, I saw a tweet because, you know, I get all of my information from Twitter nowadays um, from one community advocate in particular who was like, a surplus is bad because it means there are unmet needs. And, you know, we should just put that yeah. money into, into social services. So... We've got a lot of money to play with this session. And when we talk about the economy is crushing, the thing that we're really saying is the economy is serving a lot of people, but not everyone. Like if the economy is doing well, that doesn't mean that everyone's doing well. Um, and so it's kind of an unfortunate that they're taking that approach. But um, I can't say that I'm terribly surprised. <laughs> 
I, I would go a step further and say that, it, particularly with the COVID economy, it's been an unduly burdensome on, on certain segments of society. So, yeah, I mean, if you can get some targeted relief to those individuals, I think it would be great. Unfortunately, the way the legislature likes to do it, they like to give it to everybody. Uh, and, and then, you know, if you make a lot of money, you get a lot more money back. So it's it's uh, it, it's sort of a philosophical uh, crutch that the legislature leans on a lot. Yeah. Gurki, an issue that I know you've been following pretty closely, and I have as well, is the death penalty. And I'm really interested to see if the legislature will do something about overturning the death penalty this year, because we've seen that, interestingly enough, it was Utah County uh, that first expressed that disapproval, basically, for the death penalty and an interest in disallowing it. And then Salt Lake County followed. Um, Are we going to see that scaled up? I mean, I think one of the most interesting uh, evolutions in politics that we've seen on this issue is that conservatives now are as likely or more likely to oppose the death penalty for different reasons than than liberals are. And so you have an opportunity to sort of form this coalition between sort of libertarian minded conservatives who oppose it for financial reasons and and, and also the liberals who think that it's, you know, not uh, it's applied unjustly and is inhumane. I, I think there are going to be some serious obstacles from the sort of law and order crowd at the legislature who you know, so um, I would say I would probably give it less than 50-50 chance of passing, but uh, it will be an interesting debate. Okay. Thank you both so much. I feel like I really anticipated that we would end in a dark place. And it's not that the death penalty isn't a dark place, but the <laughs> fact that we ended with feeling optimistic about something the ledge will be doing as Sully County residents feels unusual. So I also like that a 50-50 chance is optimism. <laughs> like... Again, look, we just laid it out. I think everyone knows that that is, that is what optimism looks like. Well, and every year we go up there, there's always something that catches us completely by surprise. So I think, you know, we'll we'll have to stay on our toes. And I, I would encourage uh, everybody who's listening to pay attention, get to know their mm-hmm. legislator and don't be don't be shy about making your voice heard during these 45 days. If I could if I could give um, some advice for doing that, um, we did a I, I'm sorry, I keep like shamelessly plugging my own podcast. No, I want you to plug it. <laughs> Is that I was what just you about want? to ask you to plug it. <laughs> All right, so on uh, the last episode of the first season of State Street, we talk about public participation. Um, So I would encourage everyone to go listen to that episode wherever you get your podcast. But um, (laughs) I've I've never said that before, so that was really fulfilling for me. But um, one one piece of advice is... um, Make sure that when you are reaching out to lawmakers um, that you show that you're a person like put in the subject line that you are a constituent if you are a constituent of said lawmaker and um, keep your message short to the point, but um, also also personal so they know how it impacts you. I will tell you, I had the most interesting experience with a legislator last year, which is that I emailed members of the House, the Labor Committee. It's a longer name, but basically the Labor Committee, just to say, like, I just want you to know I'm really supportive of the federal uh, mask mandate and I'm really supportive of the federal vaccine mandates. And I, I want you to hear that from me. And so I sent it to every single member of the committee and I got a reply from a committee member in St. George. And he said, you are not my constituent. I don't know why you're emailing me. There's nothing I can do for you. And you should reach out to your representative. And I was sort of taken aback, A, because, okay, and B, 
it took him about 15 seconds to respond to me. And I was like, aren't you busy? Like, you're in session. And then 25 minutes later, no joke, he wrote me back and said, I've thought about this and you have every right to email me. You, I do, as a member of this committee, represent the entire labor force of the state. Thank you for your outreach and I'll take it into consideration. And it was a real roller coaster. <laughs> it's, a, it's a growth. It's a growth experience. For it's him. a growth experience. But the lesson is absolutely like. I think we think that we are just one in a sea of voices when we reach out to these folks to let them know how we're feeling about a bill or an idea or an issue or a problem. And we're not like nine out of 10 times you will get a response or you will be read because like they're actually not as inundated as we think they are. Um, And so we should inundate them. Yes. (laughs) Even if they're in St. George. More text messages to lawmakers this year. I think that's a great goal. That's right. Okay, so Emily, if folks want to keep up with you and your legislative beat for KUER, where can they find you? Um, you can find me on the Twitter sphere. I'm not a great tweeter, but I will do my best. Okay, uh, at m underscore means thirteen. Um, but I would also just encourage people to um, check out our podcast, State Street. Um, my reporting partner, Sonia Hudson, and I work on that during the legislative session, and we will have a new episode every Monday during the session. So we're really excited. Awesome. And Robert Gerke, where can folks find your takes? Yeah, you can uh, read my columns at sltrib.com, or you can follow me on Twitter at Robert Gerke. That's G-E-H-R-K-E on Twitter. Um, And uh, I just want to plug, we're going to have a whole team of reporters up at the legislature this year at the Tribune, and uh, they're going to be doing their best to be, you know, your eyes and ears uh, up at the Capitol, try to keep you in the loop. So follow follow them at sltrib.com. Awesome. Well, thanks for being the boots on the ground for us. Um, I loved catching up with you. I hope we can do it again soon. Thanks for all your reporting and thanks for being here. Thank you so much. Good luck out there. Good luck out there. Good luck to everyone. See you at the Capitol, Emily. Bye. That's all for today here on CityCast Salt Lake. If you're a Capricorn like me, will you tell a friend about the show? We'll be back Thursday morning with more news from around the city. Bye. Bye, Nick. Bye, Nick. <laughs> wow, his his uh, Zoom photo is so charming. I know. He looks like he loves the outdoors. It's the classic Utah. Here I am in front of a red rock photo. <laughs> Come back, Nick. Go I'm away, sorry, Nick. you're gone.